0: Hey, hey, how have you been? Greetings from the land of the weekend. As I speak to you, it's uh, Saturday afternoon. And uh, it's been quite, quite nice today. I've actually felt quite productive. Richard is away. He's been away all week, away with his band, doing some recording. Um, and sometimes when you get to the weekend and you've got lots of kids, um, it can feel a bit daunting because you think, oh, what am I going to do with them all? But uh, we've had a pretty good day actually. Um, managed to get a couple of haircuts done, uh, not by me, took them somewhere. <laughs> and um, my youngest had a little football thing this morning, and then there was a soft play moment. And I managed to get my favourite coffee, my favourite local coffee, and yeah, a few other bits and bobs. So you know, it's been a nice day of sort of pottering. And then tomorrow we're going to go to the cinema with my mum. So, quite a nice little weekend, really. And then Richard's home tomorrow night, which will be lovely. Um, And this week's been super quiet. I managed to... um, I've only been out one night, actually. I went to Dublin um, for a gig. Oh, and the last time I was speaking to you last weekend, i was—I just got to the airport, hadn't I? And I was going away with my mum. That was really nice. Nice. I have to say, oh, my gosh, that part of Scotland... (gasps) So flipping, beautiful, and they've got like the best weather ever. So we went on a very, very long sort of three and a half hour walk, my mum and I. And um it was absolutely stunning. So if you get a chance to go up that way, it was like an hour and a half from Aberdeen, um, and a very, very lovely hotel called the Five Farms, but that whole part of Scotland is just gorgeous. So that was all really good. It's nice to spend time with my mater, and this week has been about Well, I've recorded a couple of podcast episodes. I've um, also been doing getting things ready for the album, more of that, getting stuff ready. I've got a tour as well. I'm going on tour to Europe in a couple of weeks, which is the first time I've played some of those countries in absolutely ages, so I'm super excited about that. That's a real treat. Anyway, you didn't come here to hear about all that, Shenanigans. You came here to hear uh, about my guest and our... I loved meeting Maggie. So Maggie Adairin-Pocock is a space scientist and space communicator. Uh, Mother of one, a daughter, who is 12. um, Oh, no, 13. She'll be turning 13 this year, I guess. Uh, 12 at the moment. And um, she was just completely lovely. Uh, Credit to my mum. It was actually my mum who suggested Maggie. I was aware of Maggie, but she's one of those people where the more I found out about her the more I liked her. So as I was going to meet her, uh, to chat to her, I was just kind of really feeling excited. There are some guests, you know, where you feel a bit more, you can feel a bit nervous. But she's so warm and lovely that I just knew all I needed to do was be, you know, with her to ask her some questions and it was all going to flow. Because she's got that thing that all the best communicators and teachers have where they are excited about the information that they have but they want you to walk away with some new information and they, there's no silly questions. So I felt like I could have asked anything about science and space and she would have been, would have taken it in the, in the best way possible. So that was really lovely. And um, yeah, it's a really, really great chat and it was lovely to spend time with her. We'd never met before, but I hope our paths cross again. Anyway, I will leave you with Maggie and I. It's now 10 to 4 in the afternoon. You never guess what I'm going to do. I'm gonna go make a cup of tea, of course. Can't believe I haven't had any, oh my gosh, actually I haven't had a cup of tea since this morning. What is going wrong? I'm gonna rectify that immediately. See you on the other side. It's so lovely to meet you, Maggie. Uh, I've been really looking forward to talking to you today. Um, I've had your lovely voice in my ears a lot over the last week listening to Bits and Bob. So why don't we start with the here and now? What's, what are you up to at the moment? Um, Juggling...
1: Dugling du- plates actually, <laughs> yeah. not just spinning them. You're juggling, <laughs> yeah. throwing them up in the air. I know. I've seen how many actually crash lads <laughs> And so, um, so uh, at the moment, I'm, uh, uh, I'm doing a book tour. So I was doing that sort of uh, end of last year, and it's just sort of ramping up again uh, this year. Um, I, I do something called GCSE Science Live, which is really exciting because it's two thousand fifteen year olds in a theatre in London, for instance, and uh, you know you've got to grab their attention. Mm because if their attention starts to wane the phones come out and the noise level and before you know you're sort of swamped so, that's quite
0: intimidating actually oh do you know but images. then it's
1: lovely mm. because if you can grab their imagination mm. and never sort of talk to them about something that sort of you yeah, um, know that they're interested in uh, then then it just feels like magic
0: <laughs> I bet and I suppose so what, have you got like a thing that normally is quite a good way to hook because I've heard you say that you quite like it when people say they're not interested
1: in space and astronomy what's your normal kind of hook for getting people into it so it's, it, it varies um, depending on, on the group um, one of the things is talking about sort of life on other planets mm. uh, so uh, um, I grew up watching Star Trek <laughs> yeah, live long and prosper <laughs> it's just deep in me and so and all the things that Star Trek did uh, they sort of travelled you know, out beyond our solar system uh, through the galaxy to sort of other solar systems and now with science we're finding these other solar systems we call them exoplanets mm-hmm. and the more we look the more we find so every Every star you see in the night star is a sun like our sun. Some are bigger, some are smaller, but they're sort of stars. And um, in our galaxy, the Milky Way, there are 300 billion stars. And now we're finding that most of the planets we actually analyse have these exoplanets going around them. But we can do even more. We can actually sort of see, uh, because planets don't give out light. Mm -hmm. Uh, stars do but planets don't they just um, planets just reflect the light from their star but if something our our nearest star is 40 trillion kilometres away so I'm throwing a lot of big numbers no no I'm there I'm right
0: here for it Trust me (laughs) at (laughs) the end
1: so our nearest star is 40 trillion kilometres away and so the light reflected off a planet is just too dim to see Mm. but we can use different techniques to find these planets and now we're even looking at the atmospheres of these planets seeing what chemicals are in there and looking for signs of life so From uh, sort of going from universities thinking, well, we're sort of I don't know if there are any other planets out there, uh, to now we're finding sort of thousands of them and looking at their atmospheres and looking for life. We're we're progressing quickly.
0: It's so mind blowing, isn't it? I mean, (laughs) it's a crazy. It it is endlessly fascinating, though.
1: (laughs) I think so. But I I think there are two sorts of people because you know I was bandying those numbers around. Mm. Uh, Some people I sort of tell them those numbers and you can see their face looking more and more worried. How many? Billions of stars. <laughs> you know, how many billions of galaxies? And um, I think they feel sort of uh, really sort of quite sort s- overwhelmed. Yeah. But I think other people, you tell them that, and they think, oh my goodness, I'm part of something amazing. And I think that's that's my take on it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very small, very insignificant. or no, sorry, insignificant planet out of billions out there. But boy, are we part of something amazing.
0: I know this is quite bizarre. I, it almost makes me feel a bit weepy as well. There's oh. something about the magnitude of it. Yes. And the fact that that's all... It's not just an idea, it's real. That it's yes. It's all out yes.
1: there. And we're um, seeing it and analysing it. And, um, yeah, and trying to understand it.
0: Which is incredible. And I think... I was thinking about my relationship with the sky above me and how I think so much of it is fused from when you're really little because everybody no matter where you are we can all look up yes, and gaze and think Yes. and there's a sort of sense of wonder that you can sort of propel yourself up there and then it's as broad as all that you yes. know your thought but also your association um, it, it must I, I was thinking there's a similarity actually I think in your instinct when you're small to be w- the wonder of space that links up with the wonder of music as well. I think some of these things are quite instinctive.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, there
0: can't be a child on earth that doesn't really look up. (laughs) You
1: know? <laughs> no, well, actually, but I think there are because I think the problem is we live in cities with streetlights and and so people sort of uh, they get caught down below. Mm. And I think yes, I think children still look up, but um, it's trying to sort of keep that wonder going. Uh, and but what I love is um, that uh, every culture across the world. And one of my uh, challenges is when I was growing up, as sort of being black and female, I thought that astronomy was done by white guys in togas. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, yes, togas. Yes, the Greeks and the Romans and people like, 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 like that. 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 Yes. But um, if you look across the world and the history of, of, of uh, every culture, everybody's looked up, built monuments and celebrated. Uh, but but I, I do know what you're talking about with that, sort of, that feeling of music. Mm. I remember uh, borrowing a, a record, this is very much dating me, <laughs> from the library when I was young. And it was a Brandenburg Concertos. And I put it on and it made me weep. And I was thinking, how can someone just sort of manipulate music to make me feel so emotional? Yeah, that's incredible. And, and it does, it, sort of, it transcends, it just makes the, the, the soul sing.
0: <laughs> I think there's something as well about the timelessness of the the emotions you're feeling you know that sometimes if you're staring at the night sky there's probably something that links you to oh. ancestors far back and yes. people yet to come it, yes yes it's like that wonder is going to sustain
1: isn't it yes it, it's almost as if it's timeless and yeah. we're, we're looking up and um, but it, it, that, that sort of plays with sort of the time and the universe because um, uh, we see everything with sort of um, well visible light that's mm. how we sort of perceive uh, the universe um, ourselves and um, there's, um, light is finite it takes a certain amount of time to travel so it travels at a sort of three hundred uh, million uh, meters per second, which is going some yeah. <laughs> fastest thing in the universe. <laughs> but it means that sometimes, as we look at things uh, like um, our next door neighbour star, Proxima Centauri, it's taken four and a quarter years for that light to reach us in that time Proxima Centauri could have blown up <laughs> or disappeared or whatever and we wouldn't know for four and a half years or four and a quarter years because it takes that amount ma- of time to and we can see things from the early universe because some of the things it, it's taken billions of years yeah. for the light to get to us so we're time travellers in that way
0: no, that's that's an amazing thought in itself I mean just like actually letting that percolate a bit and yes because I suppose when you look up a large proportion of what you're seeing is no longer
1: yes mean um, no longer exist yes which uh, is incredible because even um, we never look at the sun but mm. light from the sun takes about eight minutes to get to earth so again it's sort of that 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 time travel
0: yeah that's astonishing one of the things i was listening to um in the last week was your um, desert island discs Yes. Which you recorded when you were actually pregnant, I think, with, yes. your, with your little girl. Yes. Can you remember how you were feeling back then about sort of impending motherhood?
1: Ah, uh, well, incredibly excited. It's something that I'd always wanted to do, mm-hmm. and um, I had my daughter when I was forty-two, so I was sort of yeah, um, sort of relatively old. And uh, it's just sort of uh, that it's happening, and I just felt so much excitement, but also terror, because, yes. <laughs> because I, I think parenting is one of those things that's best done in theory, because I think. <laughs> You can look at someone else's. Well, I think you should do this with your kids, but of course, when the kids standing in front of you, yes, was, I don't know the kitchen knife and, yes, and ice cream. It's, all, ah, it's, it's very different than sort of reality. Yeah. And so, I think I was aware of that. And uh, uh, but yes, but I was. It just seemed like the ultimate adventure. We were talking about something, you know, music and space. But I think kids are the ultimate adventure because it's a, a human sort of learning and sort of perceiving and sort of developing yeah. i think that's magical
0: <laughs> it is magical and also there's, there's an unknown element in who, who you're mothering as well yes who, who they person? are <laughs> who they are yeah exactly <laughs> what do they need from you and i saw in the dedication to your book you said something like my daughter who's she's now 12 is that right, right? she she like hold, holds a mirror up to you, um, and I think there's something that does happen like that where you learn about yourself, yes, through the things um, where, where you find your challenges, your limits, <laughs> with the things you need to work on, what's the fun things you really enjoy, yes, about yourself through, the, through <laughs> seeing yourself reflected in
1: this small person, yes, and because and, and they, they sort of mimic what you say, they take on some of your mannerisms and mm. things like that. <laughs> because I do lots of public speaking. And sometimes I've done a, a couple of talks where my daughter's been standing in front of me, copying what I'm doing, <laughs> like a little mini-me. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, actually, you were doing talks
0: when she's in a sling, and you were, this impressed me mightily. So I watched um, at the Royal Institute giving a talk, and... Your daughter at the time is at the stage where most people are struggling just to actually have a conversation, like meeting a friend for coffee and trying to keep an eye on a thread. But you're delivering this lecture about your career and your daughter is literally pulling the sponge off the microphone, (laughs) eating it.
1: She used to love that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You seem really relaxed and natural how instinctive was it to you just to take her with you wherever you were Am i actually right, traveled with you for like the first four years of her life yes yes
1: we've got a little poster at home of, of a map of the world and all the places we traveled together and uh, because um Two days after she was born, I got invited to make a documentary, the BBC, called Do We Really Need the Moon? Which was a wonderful opportunity. I had literally just had Laurie. And uh, so I said back, yeah, I'd love to do it, but, you know, I'll just have my baby. And they said, oh yes, we'll work around that. <laughs> and so uh, um, because of that, I got used to having her with me all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and it's funny, because I look at the documentary now, and because I was breastfeeding her and sort of filming, and it was just sort of a roller rollercoaster. Uh, and sometimes I, I, I see myself the video, and I sort of like, you're tired there. I can tell you sort of, just slumped across The, the moon, yeah, great. But, so, <laughs> <laughs> but I think because that got me into the mindset of uh, being able to take her with me, uh, and so uh, and I used to do these lectures, and it just seemed naturally to have her with me. And so she'd come on the stage, and I remember once uh, I, um, I was doing something called GCSE Science Live, and sort of you know, speaking to um, thousands of school kids, and a girl who was about 18 years old came up to the stage and said, "I saw you with your daughter," and it. made me cry because I've just had a baby, and I really thought that my life was you know was over. Uh, but I you on the stage, just working, enjoying yourself, and with your baby, it makes me think. Okay, you know th- th- this isn't over. Th- th- I can do stuff.
0: That's amazing. How powerful <laughs> is that?
1: Actually, well, we were both like blobby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that is interesting. Uh, it, like, that is amazing, and I think it is inspiring. And actually, I was thinking, you know. Even where I'm at, I'm going to have that in my head. That there's, there's so many options that we have, and sometimes you can feel that you don't have them when you just had a baby. About, I mean, a lot of people they think, okay, I've got to do this lecture, right? i I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll try and leave enough milk, or I'll be, I'll only be out for this many hours. Yes, and of course that's fine if that's how you. Oh do yes, it.
1: and I did some of that as well. I remember, yes, um, sort of um, forgetting the breast pump or something, and sort of getting very engorged with milk. and thinking, mm. <laughs> so yes but it is that juggling act yeah. but, um, and also um, I think Laurie just got used to it at an early age being on stage with mum yeah, taking the foam off the microphone <laughs> I always wondered just, oh my god the germs
0: <laughs> no no but you were so nice and relaxed while she's doing all that and never lost your thread you'd always go straight back into the sentence wherever you were
1: yes, and keep going with all of it but sometimes again I look at those videos and I think oh, well, I should have been at home playing with Laurie <laughs> but it was nice that we could do both yeah <laughs> and
0: then you continue to do both and you've done TV together haven't you which is
1: yes, lovely. Yes. CBBC. Yes. That, and that was very weird because it was in the middle of lockdown. Mm. And um, uh, so, again, sort of, um, we were approached and said it would be nice to make this sort of a, sort of a short documentary about space, sort of little facts and figures. Um, but um, we need to do it sort of remotely. And I said, well, it happens, I've got a really big green screen in my home, which we can set up. And so this, that's brilliant. And, and my annoyance was there saying, oh, I want to be involved. <laughs> said, well, yeah, could my daughter, you know, sort of join in? And they said, yeah, 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 that sounds brilliant. And so we did it in our kitchen. We sort of removed all the furniture and set up this green screen. But um, the uh, director and the producer all had to sit outside because of COVID. They couldn't come indoors. And so they had a little um, sort of a... um, sort of canopy outside, and sometimes it was pouring with rain, and we, wouldn't e- we weren't even allowed to offer them coffee because of, you know, the bubbles, That's so it's not so bad. <laughs> but it was amazing fun for me and Laurie to sort of, yeah.
0: Really fun. But your, your work did change a little bit when you had her, didn't it? Because you were, mm-hmm. before that, you were working, sort of, I think you said you were doing, you were more sort of space science day job at lab yes. sort of work. Yes. And then the space communication, but yes. that kind of took over... Priority after that? Yes,
1: because um, it was quite interesting. Because uh, before Laurie came along, uh, I was uh, building, sort of working on things like James Webb Space Telescope, sort of building sort of uh, equipment for that, and um, sort of working on um, uh, other sort of instrumentation, looking at uh, climate change. So, as a space scientist, it's quite an intense job, so long hours and things like that. Then, on top of that, I was trying to do the science communication because I wanted the next generation of space scientists, or scientists anyway, or kids just reaching for the stars, no matter what their stars are. So, I was going out and doing some of that. But it was quite a hard juggling act. And um, it's quite often because at the top of the company, the boss says, Yeah, we really like what you're doing, Mag. But um, when, you're sort of, when your manager's saying, Where are you going? I was like, I've got to go and give a talk to the school. What, now we've got, you know. So there was quite a bit of conflict there. Mm. And so when Laurie came along, it was, but it's funny, bef- when she was, uh, before she was born, I thought, OK, you know, I'll just continue being a space scientist, you know, I'll sort of look after Laurie and, and, sort of, you know, and continue the, the science communication. And I realized that, of so <laughs> in terms of spinning plates, That was just too many. And I wanted to be with her. Blew me away because I thought, you know, it was, well, I haven't it But no, I just wanted to be with her constantly whenever I got the opportunity. And so by doing the science communication, it enabled me to sort of take her with me and sort of do things with her. Yep. So um, it just changed my mindset completely.
0: That's like, so, did you have anyone that was in mind of you'd seen doing this thing of doing, taking their babies to lectures? Uh, no,
1: I hadn't. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Funnily enough. <laughs> yes, I hadn't. But it's funny, I've met lots of people since say, oh yes, yes, I did that with my daughter and one of the things I think is important is we get that out there. Definitely. Because I think people think that yes, um, um because we're few and far between, and, and it depends on so many factors um, a, 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 a support at home uh, a, a child who is happy to sit on your arms while you sort of yabber away mm-hmm. but um, many kids I think would do that if they're used to it and so we, we should let people know that this is possible and it means that there's just more flexibility than we realise
0: Yeah and it also, for me, when I was listening to you talk, it introduced this is um, a playfulness to hearing someone speak that breaks the, the sometimes you know the kind of tension that can happen when you're part yes, sort
1: of it. Yes, I'm a lecturer and I'm, I'm speaking yeah, to you. Yeah, because
0: there's a little person there, you know, <laughs> that's unpredictable.
1: <laughs> and I think Covid did a lot of that mm. because people that's were, true. yes, um, sort of recording from home or filming from home yeah, little people running in and it is, it's just I love it. I, I think it really does break the ice and it just makes people human mm. rather than yes, I am a scientist up here on a pedestal no, I'm a human and I've got a daughter and I love her and yeah, let's all, ha- let's all be happy together. <laughs> yeah, and still be
0: productive too. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> i can bring, bring new things to her. And so just so I get my head around it, but I mean, obviously there's the... The wonder of the uh, of space and the sort of poetry of that. But when mm. it's the sort of n- nuts and bolts of being a s- space scientist, Yes. what sort of thing does that normally involve? Yes. Are you Because <laughs> yes. you... I'm thinking of applying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Join us, you know it makes
0: sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be such a great asset. <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> I already know it's 3.7 miles from the sun. So, uh, <laughs> I've, I've memorized everything you've me but, so you but, <laughs>
1: but The thing is, funny, because people think you're sort of, uh, uh, sort of working in the space industry. Mm. We need scientists. We need engineers. We don't. We need everybody because different people bring different facets. So it's like music, the, the, the music of the Swiss. It's sort of a it's music like a playlist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was done for when uh, one of the um. Oh, it's uh, happened. Yeah, yeah no, There's many more missions. <laughs> we need more music. <laughs> so, but you see, we bring different aspects, mm. and and that's one of the things I found in my career that um, um, I've, I've had a quite a varied career. But you differ, you bring different things, and companies that thrive have a diverse sort of a gene pool mm. of people coming and so uh, i think the worst case scenario is that um, the um, space industry is just full of space scientists mm. because we all think in a similar way and then you don't get the innovation
0: yeah <laughs> well actually what you've said there reminds me of when they're talking about the fact that now there's much more awareness of hiring people who are neurodiverse and you've yes. spoken a lot about dyslexia um and i think that's maybe part of that, that we, you need people who think in different ways and yes, process yes. things differently. Yes.
1: And, and as a space scientist, um, what we do is uh, we sort of uh, come up with a concept. So you might be get contacted by the European Space Agency who says, we want to see how plants are synthesising, you know, how they're taking up oxygen and releasing uh, so taking up carbon dioxide and releasing oxygen very important for climate change and what's happening on Earth. And, but you want to do it from space. Mm. So this is a sort of low Earth orbit, so probably about 300 kilometres up above the Earth's surface, above sea level And so then we'll we'll start uh, brainstorming and thinking, how can we do that? What can we do? Uh, How are we actually going to measure this from so far away? And so then we come up with a concept, then come up with a design for an instrument, and then (laughs) we have to miniaturise everything because getting things into space is expensive. And then you've got to work out, well, this is going to be powered by sun energy, by solar panels, Mm -hmm. so how much power can we use? And so we go through this whole process, but um, the joy of it is when we sort of build it, and then it gets launched into space, and then, yes, it's operational, and then getting data but uh, as a space scientist we go through that whole process yeah. so from concept to a sort of how do we tackle this problem yeah. to it's up there and it's working phew <laughs>
0: well, yeah I didn't even think about the fact that you've got the you've got how you solve the initial problem but then you've got to make it so that as you say it's actually miniature and lightweight yes. and easy to set up and yes. all those things and if something goes wrong yes. how easy is it
1: for the people that are there to be able to oh well so there's things. no one there that's the problem oh okay yeah because I mean, these satellites are just orbit I the think Earth. I was thinking about international space oh, yes. Station well, see, on the international space Station, but Oh, just most satellites. of them are just yeah just orbiting wow. the earth in a lonely <laughs> space. wow and so what we had to do and we're quite right we have to build in redundancy and so we're trying to keep the weight as minimum as possible mm-hmm. but if a, a board goes down or electronics goes down it's nice to have a backup yeah because um some of these satellites cost us I don't know yeah you know, half a billion pounds yeah. just to sort of design and get up there yeah so you want to know that it's uh, James Webb was a lot more <laughs> wow. yes and James Webb sits um, one a uh, 1.6 million kilometers away from earth wow. so it's just out there and so it, that's why really, that
0: like costs more how much is something oh, like that james
1: webb gosh uh, well definitely a few billion uh, wow. gosh um should say a few hundred it's billion a lot of money in it is it? Yeah. but um, i think 10,000 scientists across the world scientists engineers um across the world working on it so i love that as well yeah so the community we're the all community. doing this
0: together and i suppose <laughs> are there things that you would physically be Touching that then end up oh, yes. way out
1: there. Yeah, and that's why I love that as well. Isn't
0: that an amazing idea? Yeah, your fingerprints up there—that's incredible.
1: <laughs> F- fingerprints are never going
0: <laughs> <laughs> gone. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, you no. kept it very clean. <laughs> Whatever you're supposed to have done. Yeah, yeah I've got them move off. After. <laughs> your metaphorical <laughs> fingerprints. Yes, yes. well, yeah, but
1: potentially my DNA so. as <laughs> well. Yes,
0: exactly. Things like that, just something you've interacted with. Yes, this so, goes up. Yes, That's incredible.
1: Because my lifelong desire has been to get out into space. Yes, and uh, the only time I, um, I, um. um Reconsidered. That was when my daughter was born, mm. because I wanted to be here, and yet, so we want to go into space together now. But um, uh, so that that was my crazy idea. But now, um, by building this instrumentation that goes up into space and helps Earth, it's yes. the next best thing. And how likely is the space mission for you and your daughter? <laughs> Ah, oh, well, it's, it's getting the odds are getting better mm-hmm. uh, because if you um, see things like sort of Virgin Galactic with Richard Branson mm-hmm. and Elon Musk, and let's call it Battle of the Billionaires, guys who've made a lot of money and thinking space the next frontier. Absolutely, <laughs> and I'm coming along. Well, wait for me. <laughs> <please>. <laughs> in the past space was mainly done by countries, mm. and and um, with that, um, the, the limited resources, so limited in what you can do. But now it's sort of yes, and with uh, sort of these other companies coming up, and and more and more people want to get out there. Would you?
0: Yeah, I would actually. <laughs> I've done. I've been to Houston and done the parabola. Oh, mm. uh, oh the, the, space, the vomit comet. The vomit comet. Yes, yes. yes. I've, See, done I've never done
1: that. It's and really I would fun. love to. <laughs> you could definitely do that. Yes. Yeah. Actually, um, there's been a few times where we got close when I'm filming, mm. and. Yeah, yeah, okay, and then something falls through at the last
0: minute. Uh, I actually did it for a job. It was a really oh, crazy job. Yes. Um, I was working with um, Walkers. They they d- developed a lighter crisp. So I'm straight <laughs> with a straight face. I promise. So obviously the correct way to uh, illustrate that the crisp is lighter is to take me into zero gravity. So <laughs> <laughs> with crisp, with the crisp, <laughs> they're
1: all floating around. <laughs> That's not the Simpsons one. He's just in space eating the Christmas stuff.
0: Um, the job came in quite last minute because I think they were struggling to find someone to say yes, but I love all that sort of stuff. I love roller coaster in any, anyway. Yes. But also, I thought this is a really unique thing. So. Um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what, what we're talking about, it's like you basically, the, the plane does what they call parabolas, where the plane is, it's essentially like if you're throwing a bucket of water around in a circle and the water stays inside the bucket when you spin it around because the water is falling with the bucket. Yes. So with the plane, the plane does these drops and then you're falling with the plane. So yes. you experience zero gravity. So oh, a weightlessness. Yes. yes. You touch the floor and you float off. And I think the thing that really unnerved me... And of course, it makes complete sense, but I have not really thought about it, is the fact that there's no friction. So you you just yes, keep going until yes. so you bob against something else. You yes. can't, like, swim back. <laughs> so when you think yes. of it being, like, underwater, there's elements oh, of that in that, you yes. know, you leave the floor, but you can't shift yourself
1: one place no, to another no it's quite um, I like you're passive in it yeah speaking to astronauts on mm. um, 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 the International Space Station you've got that you know, constantly yes and um, I'm saying because I'm, weird. I'm quite messy and I was saying, does it matter if you're messy in space does it <laughs> I'm imagine? messy as well yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe that's why we haven't been asked for <laughs> <laughs> but they were saying that sometimes that sort of, you, um, because everything is in that microgravity environment and it right. effectively floats, you leave something somewhere and then you sort of go on so, and do something else. But then when the astronauts come back to Earth, they sort of leave something, something like, falls to the ground. Like, oh, damn. Yes. <laughs> so, so, so they're true. just used to because they spend six months on the International Space Station. <laughs> yeah. That is so crazy. And they sleep, like, all, whichever way up they find. Well, yeah, train to the wall. No, yeah. Because, yeah, which way's up? yeah. So, yeah, we, we need to go. We, we need to do this Mindless. podcast from space. Okay,
0: <laughs> I will put that on my diary. I would be well up for I, I think, um, of course, the risk element of yes. the space mission uh, is off-putting. But I think that the actual wonder of seeing mm. our planet from far away. See, I mean that must just be one of the most incredible sights.
1: That's one of the things I so desire to see. Mm. Sort of the curvature of the earth from space, yes. the atmosphere, and then just because a um, new orbit every 90 minutes. Mm. So you go around the earth and so you see a you know, day and night in different countries and you know deserts and blazing sunlight and just see the whole planet. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot And it's funny, I think that's one of the things that really attracted me to space when I was a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I was growing up uh, in the UK in sort of uh, late 60s, early 70s. And um, I felt I didn't belong. Um, my relatives would say, oh, you don't even speak Nigerian. You're a lost Nigerian. And I'll go to school and people would say, yeah, why don't you go back home? I live around the corner. But it's, but it's just... And so space gives you that sort of a we are united. There's no barriers. You don't see the countries from space. You just see planet Earth. Yeah, I was
0: thinking about that when you're talking about different countries having their space missions and how yes. it would be great if everybody just teamed up, really. The um, whole space race thing it's like the we, teaming up it makes the most sense to pull resources,
1: does. surely. And I suppose we have done that to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, so things like the European Space Agency. Mm-hmm. I, think, I can't remember sort of a different country. It was it uh, Canada, many European countries all collaborating. But it, it's also interesting to see how things progress. Because I have a theory um, that there's been three eras of space. Um, The first era was, of space was confrontation, because the space era came out of the Second World War, and it was mainly about lobbing intercontinental ballistic missiles you know, from one part of the Earth to the other. Mm. And it just happened that they sort of you know, clipped space while they were doing that. And then people realised that you could actually observe um, people from space. So space was actually quite useful. Right. And so it sort of came out of quite a dark time. Mm-hmm. And then people started sort of getting sort of, you know, oh, yeah yeah let's use space and there was the space waves with the russians and the americans uh, but then after that people thought you yeah, know space is pretty expensive let's start collaborating mm-hmm. so you get the formation of the european space agency in 1975 and people coming together but now i think we're going into the new era and it's an era of commercialization mm-hmm. where you're getting people like musk and branson and, and many others thinking okay how do we sort of utilize space but the within the era of collaboration one of the things is uh, space seems to be slower then because it's all done by committee and it should we go to 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 Mars? Should we go to the moon? I don't know, let's think about it. for It's an awful lot of money. (laughs) But then you're getting these pioneers saying, yeah, let's go to the moon, let's go to Mars and beyond. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, You talked a little bit then about your childhood and when I was uh, driving here today, I was thinking uh, if there had been, you know those books um, Little People, Big Dreams, you know those books about like, and I was thinking, I was double checking if there'd been one of you, because surely it's on the horizon if there hasn't been. (laughs) Because your story is extraordinary because of when you know your childhood being as you said the dyslexic and this is before you knew you were dyslexic as well yes. and I think now the um, association we have with dyslexia is really positive. of my kids is dyslexic, oh, and for right. him, it's quite—it's quite a visible thing in yes. terms of people talking about it and being aware. Yes. But certainly in the 70s, that was a different thing. Yes. And then also, am I right? 13 different schools in 14 years. This yes. must be something of a record <laughs> in itself. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, also, you don't start till, till you know—that's cool. like, that's a quick—that's know. a quick turnaround. Yeah, I think some schools
1: it was high, but <laughs> bye. <I'm just laughs> sure. Sure. My oh here, yeah, I was like, I know,
0: was that. Something <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, you're you third of four girls, is that right? Yes, yes. And spent most of your time with your dad after yes. a turbulent divorce from your parents, which I very much identify with my parents oh. grew up when I was four as well. Oh, so I, I heard you speaking about that thing of having to choose mm. your loyalties and one parent, which is just a... It's a, a very tricky muscle to develop as a little person. Yes,
1: yes. Um, yes, because there's a lot of responsibility and guilt. Yes. It's just...
0: Yes, because you've always got an answer when you're that little, because normally life is quite binary about what you feel like about things. Yes. So um, I I think it is really a tough uh, conversation to be part of. But then also you've got the fact that you've got this, you know, you must clearly be incredibly bright. So this... Oh, come (laughs) on. (laughs) You don't have
1: to correct me on this, it's <laughs> no. just factual. But, no. <laughs> so, uh, but see, it's the way we measure brightness. Uh, see, because people think, oh, space science, is, oh, that's tough. But uh, it's like um, me and languages. To me, wow, that's tough. Or sort of people, sort of uh, lawyers, reading all those documents. Because mm. So people have strengths and weaknesses. I agree with that. But yes. if you've
0: got this academic potential with space science, and yes. then I was thinking you must have a massive amount of resilience in Grits, because surely, if if you're, if the odds are stacked against you. Then you have to just keep on hitting the <laughs> targets, and is that something that you've been very conscious of?
1: Yes. Well, it's funny because one of the things about dyslexia is I think it teaches you resilience. And um, just as an example, it's um, a, a, you're sort of a, um, typing a, a, an email on the computer, and you type in a word, and the computer says, ah, ah. And, "Oh rats!" Okay, so you retype it. Ah, ah. And it's like, okay, let's come up with a different word. <laughs> so you're just used to sort of that that sort of uh, buffering. Um, but uh, but also, I think one of the things that really worked for me is. how having that crazy dream of wanting to get into space. And uh, because it means that you sort of aim for targets quite often you miss and you fall in the mud and it's all gone horribly wrong but when you've got the crazy dream you sort of pick yourself up and think oh that was terrible ouch that really hurt but if I want to get to that dream I've got to find a different way so okay this isn't working let's go around this way or go over that way or just find another way around the obstacle and I, I think that sometimes it's quite lucky if you have that desire when you're young because you can just you, it keeps you focused yeah and sort of on track and uh, sort of yeah and I, I always think that I may never make it into space I, I really hope I do but <laughs> I may never make it in space but by having that crazy dream it's encouraged me to sort of push harder and overcome hurdles and so, so not so much keeping um, 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 hitting targets hitting targets but finding a way to hit targets when everything else just seems to be against you. Yeah and
0: sometimes I think when you look back because there's a sort of hardiness you have when you're younger that yes. you maybe don't have in the same way when you're older that where you're when you're like teenage or you know if you've got that little fire in your tummy sometimes you can look back and think how did I have the energy to keep pushing and pushing yes
1: yes (laughs) yeah the energy
0: (laughs) (laughs) but I mean how do you how do you go about in trying to pass on this sort of resilience in your daughter because I would have thought that'd be
1: quite a good quality to pass on yes well actually because i think i'm quite lucky that i got it from my mother and my father because mm-hmm. um, my father was well well into education i think that's another driver um i, I think it's often the case with immigrants especially nigerian immigrants that your yeah, education is the way to sort of transcend it's a social lubricant if you want to sort of yeah if you want to improve your lot in life it's got to be education which was a bit of a dichotomy for me because i was doing so badly at school when i started but this idea that i have to get a good education uh, so it me- meant that, that the was that driving me as well, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and it's quite interesting because I have da- conversations with my daughter, and because she is sort of quite heavily dyslexic, probably more so than me, and so it, it is sort of saying, you know, so what is your dream? And she doesn't really know what she wants to do. She's got some ideas, but if you want to fulfil that dream, yeah, having an education really helps. And it, so in primary school, it was interesting because I think she saw it, but you know, wasn't really into it. But now I think she's she's seeing that yes, uh, yeah. and but also um. It's quite interesting because people, whenever they meet her, they say, are you going to be a scientist like your mother? And I always feel bad for her because she doesn't want to be a scientist Mm. like her mother. But she is actually enjoying science at school at the moment. Mm. She's, um, well, now she's got to secondary school. And also, she's indoctrinated at home. I mean, she's (laughs) just had a chance, really. (laughs) It's the conversations you have, isn't it? Yeah, that's it, about everyday things that sort of is just immersed with science and engineering.
0: Yeah, and whenever... People ask me if my kids are musical. Yes. I always say, I just hope they have as lovely a relationship with it as I do. Because for me, music, never mind it being my day job, I just love the fact that music's always been there. Oh, so maybe yes. for her, it's, it doesn't really matter what her day job is. But if she just has a, keeps that. Enthusiasm for wanting to know how things work, the way they work. That's a
1: lovely thing. Yes, and it's funny because when I go out to schools, um, people often say, well, do you want to speak to the gifted and talented kids you know, who are going to become the future space scientists? And, no, I want to speak to everyone because, as you say, it's just keeping that awareness of science. Hmm. Science uh, is plays such a vital role in our lives, yeah. and in so many different ways. You know, inoculations. Um, so for a while, I was working in landmine detection. Mm. So many different decisions we have to make as a society yes. that are influenced by science and engineering. And so, if kids are turned off about it, yeah. how can they make de- uh, societal decisions? So, yeah. I want to speak to everybody about science and show the power of it, but show the power for good and the power for. for Detrimental, yeah. so um, yeah. So people are aware of, and when we make the right decisions, hopefully.
0: <laughs> well, like, you mentioned landmines, though, and I think that's, that's what you did, isn't it? After your degree, is that right? You went to do um, work for Ministry of Defence. Yes. So part of your job was working out how to detect where landmines are. Yes. So I was thinking about the fact that means you've almost had this silent dialogue because you're developing science to help find out where the landmines are. But on the other side of that conversation is a team of scientists who try to make sure that landmines can't be detected. Yes. And that's a crazy, yes. silent dialogue to be in with people who, you know, who have maybe shared your passion for some of the same things yes. to get them you know, in engineering and science, and then yes. they find out using it in that way.
1: Yes. Yes, and it must be a decision. Um, when um, so, uh, I got my sort of degree and my PhD, mm-hmm. left university, couldn't find a job, ended up working for the MOD, so the Ministry of Defence. And I was thinking, you know, it's the Ministry of Defence, but some of that defence it can be aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I, I made sure that I was only working in sort of missile warning systems, so warning pilots that a missiles are coming, uh, landmine detection. Uh, but yes, sort of a, there are people making different decisions and go, going sort of a, for sort of the more aggressive side. And, um, and and it's quite interesting because uh, war is a technology stimulator. Mm. When war comes along, people throw scientists at it to develop new technology, to develop new th- ways of sometimes killing people. Yeah. And so I think it's sort of, that's why we need to have that awareness yeah. that science is, is just so... it's a double-edged sword.
0: Yeah, and the morality <sighs> within, yes. within what you're doing. Yes. And, uh, and thinking uh, about uh, ethics and all these things, not quite. just using your skill set to make the best of the best if the outcome
1: is something you fundamentally don't agree with. Uh, And I think um, that that was um, wonderfully shown by the Manhattan Project. So when they were making the first nuclear bomb, scientists were sort of throwing themselves into sort of uh, tackling this problem. And then after a while, they sort of stepped back, especially after uh, uh, Hiroshima and uh, Nikasaki, they were looking back and said, what have we done? Mm. Uh, We were sort of caught up in the project, but this is devastating yeah. is change the world on a scale we cannot understand and so um yes and so uh, so as scientists but we need that little sort of the you know, society saying so what are you doing exactly and, and where's that going and should we be doing this and that's a societal push we need everybody to be in on that on that conversation
0: and so did any of that uh, shift or become even more part of your you know your motivation once you had
1: your your baby uh, yes so, trying to uh, create a world that is safer, uh, has a, sort of a climate that isn't <laughs> uh, that isn't toxic. It yet yeah, it is. It's sort of a driving force. And I think we want to do it anyway. But when you think of sort of the next generation and the generation after that, and they're, they're, how far is this going? And so, what can we do now? Because the decisions we make now have such longfold uh, sort of uh, consequences. Mm-hmm. So yes, it, it does sort of really focus the tension on the future. You, I, I'm passing through, but yes. And what about everybody else? Yes, exactly.
0: And I guess I think that also goes back to education. Yes. And I mean, with my, I've got one child with dyslexia and two that yes. have dyscalculia. Which oh, I'm sure yes, about know yes. the sort of maths version of, of dyslexia. Yes.
1: I have both
0: actually. But oh, so, <laughs> well, yeah. It, quite often they're like the yeah, interlinked. Okay, yes. so when with that, how did you not uh, sort of fall out of going wanting to go to school at all? How did you stay so committed to? going into a place because most teaching is taught in such a way that's quite rigid and I'm sure even now with your daughter even though it's generations on from when you were
1: little it's yes. still it's still quite tricky it is getting the support and yes way and, it, it, and, and I do see it as better now mm. and my daughter goes to a sort of local state school mm-hmm. and yeah and but also it's the way they've used dyslexia because mm-hmm. it isn't just oh she can't read she can't spell put her in the sort of remedial class which is what happened to me but um uh, it's sort of um, uh, oh yes but look at her creativity look mm. how logical she is and so it's tapping into those sort of, uh, the benefits of dyslexia but for me actually um for quite a bit of schooling I just hated it um, I, I, I decided you know, school doesn't like me, I don't like school. I used to pretend to fall asleep in class. Because
0: I just pretend. Yes. I could do that for real. <laughs> <I know. laughs>
1: Actually, in some French classes it was real.
0: First. And so it was good. Co- Why did you pretend for, just to zone yourself out? Yeah, just, uh, it was just yeah. I didn't really want to be there. That's gotta be the ultimate insult to the teacher as well. Come on, <laughs> like Looking around the back, like, oh, she's pretending to sleep in my lesson again. Yes. And then look at the time they'd be like, She'll probably be at a new school by this afternoon.
1: That's fine. <laughs> just passing through anyway. <laughs> Who's that, who's that? person sleeping at the back? She wasn't here yesterday. So, so there was a sort of a time where um, sort of school didn't agree with me. But then there were teachers who went above and beyond.
0: And what happens if you have a teacher you love and then you have to move? Oh, I mean, because yes. that's moving school a lot. That is a that is a big deal. That's.
1: It is, but I think you get used to it. So it was funny. I didn't realise I'd gone to thirteen different schools um, until I did Desert Island Discs, which was lovely, yeah. and, and uh, so I was really honoured to be doing it, like doing this. But it was. Um, uh, they said, okay, let's do some research, and we started doing research. Said, oh yeah, it's schools, and the list just kept on going. So, whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> wow, <laughs> you'd for. lost
0: count.
1: Yes, yes, I, I did. Just, I wasn't really aware. And and the thing is, it, it's. Um, I think I'm a sort of glass half full sort of person, and it does teach you skills. So. Uh, in a new situation, other people might thinking, oh, you know, I don't know anyone. Uh, I'm more likely, sort of, yeah, okay, let's just you know, strike up a conversation. Because mm-hmm. I'm used to being sort of, you know, thrown in the deep end. Mm-hmm. So uh, there are some benefits of it, but you do lose out. Uh, my husband, for instance, has um, friends he knew from primary school. And they're sort of, you know, they've known each other and grown up together. And, uh, but yeah, I don't really have that. Uh, in some ways, I'm almost frightened of it. It's strange that uh, I'm used to... Uh, uh, I see myself as a chameleon. Uh, I'm putting another situation and it's hard to go back and be the person I was there because that was three schools ago and I don't know who that person is anymore. So there's, yeah, again, the yin and the yang. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: but then I guess you've given your daughter this thing that you didn't have, which is an incredibly consistent childhood, which is a very different thing, isn't it? If you've been moving around a lot and yes. parents changing their situations and all that, it's quite a big it's quite a big difference to not have that
1: when you're growing up, I think. I think so, yes. And, I uh, well, it's quite interesting because in other ways, because uh, she travels a lot with mm. me, and so it's interesting because um, uh, she moves around that way, but it seems more stable that way. Mm. And uh, that's one of the reasons I love her, uh, her coming with me when I go on trips and stuff like that, uh, because I, I suppose um, my husband and I are her constants. Mm. And to a certain extent, it doesn't matter where we are as long as we're together. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, just incredibly to my daughter just yeah yeah that's so lovely Uh, but I think it's also because she's an only child I had when I was 42 and I had quite a few complications afterwards so there wasn't much chance of me having another child and so yes it's quite interesting because I'm sort of a mother stroke sister which I love but it can be complicated because you're know, sort of a sister, you can have fun together. But hey, why have you done your homework? It's yeah. sort of changing hats midway. <laughs>
0: no, but I think that's the benefit. I mean, I'm, I'm close to my mum in that way too. And I think it's nice. Like, she she never wanted to be my friend like that. But she's, she's my mum, and we're incredibly close. And oh, yeah, I yes. think I think um, that's the dynamic of, of close motherhood, actually. I think oh. you can have that, can't you? And don't have to. She need, she'll still look to you to be the person that gives her those boundaries.
1: That's, that's oh, all part of it, isn't it? I hope so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, Definitely. I, I, I always think that um, when she's older, if we get on, she'll be, oh, my mother took me around the world and we sort of travelled together. It was lovely. But if, if we don't get on, it she drags me around the world yeah, from place to place. Yeah. <laughs> well,
0: if your dream is to go to space with your daughter, I think that's a very good litmus test for how well you get on. Because you're not going to agree <laughs> to going to space with someone if your
1: relationship's <laughs> <Yeah>. a bit... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. But what... Wait till we get there. You <laughs> <It's> clear <completely laughs> the side of the International Space Station. <laughs> I'm not talking to her. Not exactly. <laughs> she ate my chocolate biscuits and I'm not happy.
0: No, exactly. No, that's going to really put those things to the test. But it could be an amazing thing to do together. Yes. I do like travelling with my mum. I, th- I think uh. I'd go to space with her. <laughs> I think I would. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to say yes. Um, I sort of, uh, You were about to talk about teachers. How did you uh. find teachers that were significant if you are also moving around? Like, can you remember mm.
1: teachers that had... That was a big stare on you. Yes. I remember, sort of, uh, I remember moments, and teachers. So I remember a moment uh, when I was in a science class, and this was when I was pretty disengaged in school. And, uh, I, and I think one of the reasons I was disengaged is because I thought, well, I'm dumb. I'm at the back of the class, you know, safety scissors and glue, I'm just disconnected. And so education isn't my thing. But I remember sitting in a class and a teacher asked a question, and the question was, if um, a litre of water weighs one kilogram... What does one cubic centimetre of water weigh? And being dyslexic means I'm quite logical. So I worked out that one cubic centimetre of water is a thousandth of a litre. A thousandth of a kilogram is one gram. So one cubic centimetre of water is one gram. Well, yeah, I got this. Put my hand up. And and then uh, looked around the classroom. No one else had their hand up. Being the dumb one at the back, I thought, you know... uh, how can I get this, and no one else does? So just you know, put my hand down. So the teacher sort of noticed that I go, you know, and she'd, you know, go, go on, you know, encourage me to answer, and I, I got it right, and it was you know, oh, that magical moment of oh my goodness, yeah, you know, I knew this, and other people in the class didn't. So I'm not as dumb as they think and I'm not as dumb as I think and that gave sort of the momentum that okay if I can do this it, and to me it's all about that confidence yeah confidence is um, what I think makes and breaks people in well, actually in, definitely in school but in most walks of life when you've got the confidence you think okay well if, I, if that works what else can I do and then you push a little harder and you sort of you know, gain some more knowledge but if, you're, if you feel oh no I, I can't you know, yeah. uh, then I think then that's what stops you
0: yeah and fear of saying the wrong answer is, yes
1: and everybody else on of looking and
0: Yeah, that's quite (laughs) crippling, isn't it, for a lot of kids, I
1: think. And I think with the dyslexia, just like reading out loud, the fear of the one word.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's a very real fear. I mean, how many of us even now as adults have... Anxiety dreams about school, you know, <laughs> there's a reason why. And it's also that you're never again in the melting pot of so many different characters and yes. having to just rub alongside people in that way. True. Because then after that, you can choose, you know, who you socialise yes. with. And in your work, you're likely to be with people. We've got, you know, you're bringing things to the pot, but school is.
1: It's pretty tough, <laughs> right? pretty <laughs> yes, hardcore. Ah, yes.
0: Oh, yes, definitely. And I think it's amazing to have a moment like that, a school mm-hmm. moment that actually was so. Defining, yes. Not many people have that real like. That
1: literally was like a light bulb. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, so like, and say that, um, and that was a change. Of course, lots of other things. And as I say, fantastic teachers mm-hmm. who went sort of above and beyond and sort of gave me extra lessons. And lots of teachers would, would um, sort of uh, make me keep a diary. I hate keeping a diary, but you yeah, so I'd write and sort of let correct my spellings and things like that. Mm-hmm. So just, I, just so I could sort of develop a bit better.
0: And so how, how is it when you get to sort of here and now and you're helping sort of GCSE and also younger kids get engaged? Is, it, is that something, is that teaching something that really means a lot to you?
1: Yes, because I know what it's like to be disengaged with school. And that's why I like to speak to all pupils when I go to a school, and so I know what it's like sitting at the back of class thinking this isn't for me, and especially with science, you mm. know, you get some kids coming in when I'm going to give a lecture and you think, oh, I don't want to be here. This is a science talk. What would I want a science talk? And so then I want to entertain them and regale them and, and sort of and wow them with just hundred and one different things, so they come out and think, wow, that was science, yeah, right? that, that's here, and just think again. Mm. So um, yeah, and then just join that. I think over the past about. 18 years I've seen 450,000 people uh, and, and there's a spark as well when you interact with someone or uh, I, went, I gave a talk once uh, at a school and someone was doing sign language which um, you might notice I talk quite fast <laughs> simultaneous translation sign language I always feel sorry for them because their fingers are <laughs> <is> like friction <laughs> may catch fire <laughs> I gave this um, talk at a school and, and later on I got an email saying that there was a um, little boy in the, um, in the group who was a voluntary mute. And had never sort of spoken to their teachers. But after my talk, he wanted to know what happens if galaxies collide. And so he started speaking about that. And so it was just sort of this magical moment because it was something that caught his attention so much and that he was so interested in that he started speaking. And so you think, whoa, it's it's powerful stuff. I'm I'm lucky I'm doing space because space really gives it that power. But if you can go out there and share that with someone and share that passion, it's just an absolute joy. That is incredible.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. Um, It's funny you mention about Talking Fast because um, just before Christmas, I um, I went to a a friend's Christmas drinks and there was uh, Lauren Laverne. Oh, yes. And Lauren Laverne, of course, now does Desert Island Discs. And she was saying when she's doing her research on people, she listens to the audio of people, like their books or podcasts, whatever, at double speed. So I thought I'd give it a go and i tried one of your podcasts. And I (laughs) couldn't... You're the wrong person to put double I speed. I'm <laughs> to pack so much in there empty way. I was like, whoa, I can't... And then I thought, no, it's right, she just speaks. quite. with I'm a fast talker as well, by the way. So I totally get that, but I was just like, whoa. It's If you ever want... A Actually, I I'm going to try that. Yeah, have a listen yes, to it. It's amazing, but I couldn't keep up.
1: <laughs> Actually, one and a half might be it. Okay.
0: <laughs> but I'm listening to you, you've got so much enthusiasm and exuberance, and I'm trying to picture... If little Maggie had that, is that something that's grown and blossomed with your confidence and with the more you've you sort of grown into fil- find your own space in, excuse the pun, of what, you're, what it is you're doing, you know, your workplace? Or yes. was that, if I'd bumped into you at school, would, would, we have,
1: would you have had that same thing then? It, 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 it's very hard for me to tell mm. because um, as a child, I was convinced that I was an introvert. I was sort of you see because I I have um, three other sisters so two older uh, one younger and my two older sisters are larger than life characters I mean they are they're just amazing and so um, compared with them I was sort of the the quiet one and so um, I I always used to say no no I'm I'm the quiet one I'm I'm the introvert but I think um, I'm quite extrovert and say actually oh that's an omnivert because I like the quiet times where I can sort of have to myself and sort of yeah contemplate life the universe and everything but the same time there's the sort of performer in me that likes to sort of get out there and sort of yeah and sort of you know, just sort of challenge people with ideas mm-hmm. so um but I, I think as a child I wasn't very confident at all and I, I, and I think I was almost crippled with decision making uh, every decision I would sort of agonize over sort of for a long time like is this the right one and then after I've made the decision I still sort of think uh, I heard you talking about um regret uh um, and it's sort of a, 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 a challenging things to have uh, and sometimes I sort of things sometimes it was silly things like sort of bread or toast so I had toast what was I thinking <laughs> so, was, so the big questions then no, I
0: can relate <laughs> the correct answer is toast probably. So,
1: yes. actually nowadays I think I'll just yeah, go for toast, toast. <laughs> yeah, bread but crunchy yeah. <laughs> so I don't think I was that confident and also because of the dyslexia and all the other things I think I was um, in the sort of family pecking order I was sort of nice but dim
0: (laughs) oh no I find that hard to believe but I think if you've got big extrovert siblings that's quite another thing that's you just that's part of the family dynamic and in a big family everybody kind of Finds their pitch a little bit. That's
1: it. Yes, it's a way of survival. I think sometimes. Yeah. And so we, we know sort of, and it's uh, as you, as we grow and develop, then sort of sometimes you sort of uh, um and that's one of the things about changing, um, changing school a mm-hmm. lot. It mm-hmm. means you can sort of, uh, oh, I didn't like, I didn't like the role I was playing in that one. I'm going to try this one. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> do you think having a being a, a mum and motherhood made your relationship, your love affair with what you do expand a little bit as well?
1: I think so. Um, it's quite interesting because um, I loved it before but actually, and especially when Laurie was in my arms and I was giving a talk it just made me I don't know if it made me feel very complete uh, um, the, the things I love I, I loved communicating mm-hmm. uh, but I, and I have my daughter with me uh, as a space scientist I knew she'd always be at home I, I couldn't take her to the office mm-hmm. but this enabled me to do both and there's um um an image my husband gave to me um uh, probably a couple of years ago and i'm going to pronounce it incorrectly but i think it's called ikigai ikigai and it's um a, a, a diagram with uh, four circles all interconnected and one is what you can get paid for what you love doing what the world needs and the other one which i can't remember <laughs> um um, what, what, anyway, I'll come back to that. But in, in the bit in the centre is um, where you get life fulfilment. So Ikigai is um, sort of a Japanese life fulfilment. And if you can get all these circles together, you get them all, all, all working, then you can sort of happily sit in the centre. And, and my husband sort of gave me this picture and said, I think you might be in the centre. So...
0: That's lovely. Yes. I like that very much. Um, so what's your... But the big things about space that are kind of unanswered that you'd like Ooh. to know the answer to.
1: Yes. And one of the things I love to tell kids is that there are some big questions out there. Uh, one of the things is that when we look at the universe, um, the universe, we know what about 6% of the universe is made out of. Like, yeah. 6%? <laughs> no, it's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been doing with your time? So, yeah, you know, me, you, the table, we don't know, you know about that stuff. <laughs> stuff that reflects light. But there's also stuff we call dark matter and dark energy and we call it that because we don't know what it is <laughs> we know it's out there because we can see its gravitational effect but we can't actually sort of tangibly interact with mm. it and so so that's what i like to tell the kids you ninety-four know, uh, percent of the universe we don't actually know what it's made of so come and help us because we really need it <laughs> yeah
0: that's so, amazing isn't it
1: yes um the uh, sort of the, the, the holy grail is their life out there yeah and um but I'm excited that yeah we are getting closer to answering that because with things like James Webb with uh, telescopes looking at these exoplanets. Uh, and, but one of the nice things is we used to talk about you know, um, we used to talk about planets in the Goldilocks zone where they're the right distance from their local star so mm-hmm. they're not too hot not too cold just right like, to have liquid water. And so we thought we had to look Goldilocks exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but now we realise that um, because we found life and in, in thermal trenches deep in the oceans where we didn't think life could exist. Mm. It opens up the possibility of where we might find life, um, our, even in our own solar system, like some of the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, mm. where because they're going around such a massive planet, um, the gravitational forces sort of heat up waters under an icy shell. So there could be life, a, a, a moon wow. like Enceladus, You, know, but we don't see it because it's underneath this icy shell, but it's just exciting what could be out there.
0: I guess it means as well what you're thinking of as a... When you say life on other planets, you're thinking about... You know the, the equivalent of humans, or you're thinking Ooh, about well, something yes, you like like totally well, different. Yeah, sorry, you know? It
1: could be just oh, yes, some sludge. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Which don't get me wrong, <laughs> it's, it's I'll life. Be happy for you, I know, yeah, it's life. I'm kind word. of looking for like the alien <laughs> oh, well, type. You know the. the Classic. yes yes <laughs> oh, yeah, with the extra eye
1: and slightly something green like yeah <laughs>
0: something something fun like that yeah, As depicted an on an unexpected Star Trek. limb an unexpected head
1: <laughs> yes eyes but well, you see the thing is those <laughs> aliens generally look like us but yeah with a bit of extra God. appendage <laughs> and, and, and,
0: but and it's like...
1: easier for the costume department <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> I like coming up with um, a few years ago, I was invited to make a portrait of an alien. And uh, I came up with this um, sort of a. We have um, planets like Jupiter, mm. uh, where uh, we don't even know if it's got a rocky core, so it's just atmosphere. And so I came up with this lovely um, sort of about the size of a football pitch. And it was like a sort of a, a blob. Uh, a, and, and it wasn't um, all, all, all our DNA and um, our bodies are, are carbon based, mm-hmm. but this was silicon based. Mm. And it sort of sucked in nutrients from the atmosphere. And um, but, but it communicated through lights, scintillation. So it's sending communication through lights and just totally way away from anything that we know. And there's a whole area of um, science called astrobiology. And as we detect these exoplanets and look at their atmospheres, it's working out what sort of life could live on a planet like that. And to me, that's mind-boggling. That and it's so like science fiction and science. So you take the science we know and take it in and, and extrapolate it yeah. out. And it, oh, it's just wonderful. I'm sure
0: that's the most... <laughs> (laughs) addictive thing about about working in an area such as space is that if you've got a kernel of something you can just if yes. you can think it, it might be. And yes.
1: That's... And also, because um, what I love about science fiction is it sort of inspires scientists. Mm. So, like, the communicators on Star Trek became mobile phones. You see an idea and think, well, hold it, why can't we do that? Mm. OK, that is science fiction, but it's usually based on some reality. So, yeah, let's let's investigate. Let's, um, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of the
0: people that worked on science fiction projects are probably people that had a real passion for space and knowledge and try and, you know,
1: get as much as they can and, yes, then and then, right imagination <laughs> see, go wild yes and I love that yes, and it, and and it right. just leads to uh, different opportunities and also and sometimes it drives the science as mm. well
0: <laughs> so do you sometimes watch things with your daughter like science fiction films and things and then she'll say how realistic
1: is this one? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like. If it's good science fiction, then I can suspend disbelief because I must say I love science fiction. Science fiction saved me mm. because as a dyslexic, um, I hated reading. But my sister would tell me about some of the science fiction books she read. My sister Hal, and I'd say oh my, that sounds amazing. And I'd actually read the book. I'd get half the words wrong, but I'd read the book because it was such a, a compelling story. So I love that. And yes, my daughter and I do sort of watch science fiction together. And um, I, I try and suspend the disbelief as much as possible because I want. To <laughs> To enjoy it but sometimes it's hmm <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay you've pushed it too far this ain't happening <laughs> it's probably quite often
0: isn't it if you're honest uh, well i think it's all incredibly exciting and i feel like yeah we should put a date in our diary for like 20 years and do our yes. next installment in space
1: <laughs> well it could give yeah, space or mars i mean we've got options Moon.
0: <laughs> my diary is clear um and until then i want you to live long and prosper please
1: oh. <laughs> And so
0: to you, thank you <laughs> Thanks. so much. Lovely to speak to you. Really nice to talk to you too. I'm all excited. I am. I feel like space is cool. It's all out there. See, isn't Maggie just so warm and infectious? And I hope that she and her daughter get to have that exploration of space together. It's pretty magical. I'd quite like to go to space. My 10-year-old, Ray's in the room. Ray, would you go to space with me? If we could, if there was like a rocket that would take us to space, would you want to go with me? Mama! Oh. Oh, yeah. He's walking away from me. Fine. Did <laughs> you say fine? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. All right. Mickey, I'll be there in a second. I might get a speech. I, I will be there for ages. Well, yeah, it's unlikely to be a quick trip, let's face it. But, you know, imagine seeing the Earth from space. That would be pretty amazing. Anyway, I'll work on that. I'm not sure I've found my space companion just yet. Maybe. It's probably the most sensible answer, to be fair, by the time we get to it. Anyway, um, yes, thank you so much to Maggie. Thank you so much to you, of course, and to producer Claire, editor Richard, and lovely Ella May, who does the artwork, I've got so many more amazing women coming up for you in the next few weeks. And uh, I realised yesterday, actually, when I did my recording yesterday, it was my 90th recording. I've done 90... I've spoken to 90 amazing women. How cool is that? Anyway, I'm being heckled from the other room by my four-year-old. His patience doesn't last too long. I'm coming, Mickey! And uh, I've got things to tidy. And, um... Oh, I decorated the boys' room. I've got three of my kids in one room and I've redecorated it this week. And, you know, there's that fun bit where you decorate and everything looks really lovely. You start putting things back in and you're like, oh, it looks great. And then you realise it's because you've only put a third of the things back that should go in there. So upstairs there's a bath that's filled with boxes of all the other stuff. And quite frankly, I could probably just put that whole lot in the bin now and just have what we've got. You alright? right, Ray? Um, But anyway, it does look lovely, though. I put a bit of wallpaper up in one corner of the room it's bloody lovely you get excessively overexcited about it but then my seven year old Jesse is the same as me he's decided when he's older he wants to be someone who helps people organise their homes so he's put up some little acrylic shelves for all his little display items and he just said to me, he's on the top bunk, he said mummy, the ladder up to my bed is the stairs to heaven now I'm in heaven in my bedroom he's so happy, he and I get very excited about interiors, it's a nice way to be and I think Ray's happy with it too it's not so sure anyway. I better go. Mickey's calling me. See you next week. Take care of yourselves. Have a lovely time. Lots of love. Bye.